be still my soul. As we have sung today and as we have prayed today and as we have read the scripture today, the focus has been on the word. I love that new hymn that we just learned that I didn't know until I saw it. I didn't get a chance to listen to it this week, but I uh, every promise of your word just fits so well with sola scriptura. And, and I was amazed. I don't know if you noticed it. I hope you did as we were singing through it. Scripture was, all, was woven all through it. And it said when, when condemnations come upon me, when they come to hold me down, he has taken care of that. And just reminds us of, of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, none, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or, or, or he, he will continue his work on us until it's complete. Uh, Philippians 6, 1, uh, 6 rather says, And I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, those are promises of his word that we sing about and we rejoice in. And so, as we talk about sola scriptura, by scripture alone, by the word of God alone this morning, everything we have sung and every scripture that we read from Psalm 119 to what we're going to look at in 2 Timothy in just a moment, all flows right out of the idea that God's word is truth. And God's word is our authority. And God's word is what we must be knowing, we must be understanding. Now, we're in this series leading up to the the end of October on the Reformation. We started last week talking about the church must always be being reformed by the Word of God, going back to the Word of God. Now, over the next five weeks, we're going to look at those five solas from the, from the Reformation in our call to a new Reformation. And, and today, we're going to look at sola scriptura. The, the Word of God alone is our authority. We'll talk about what that means in, in just a moment. We believe in sola scriptura, not, uh, not as, as some say, unda scriptura. And we'll talk about that, what that means, the difference in a minute. I, I hope you read my Grace Notes article this week when we, uh, I just kind of focused on John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was a pre-runner to the Reformation. He, he, he died 125 or so years before the Reformation, before those 95 theses were nailed to the Wittenberg door. But Whitcliffe's, Whitcliffe's vision was seeing the Word of God in the vernacular of the people. In Whitcliffe's day, only those who were greatly educated, only those who were prepared for, for the priesthood, had the Word of God accessible to them. And Whitcliffe desired more than anything else that the Word of God would be available to the common man. And by common man, he meant the normal church person, the more normal person who hears the word uh, read and, and sung and, and various things, but they would have the word of God at, at their hand. We, we take that for granted today because every one of us has got, what, 15 or 20 Bibles laying around our house? And the sad thing is many times that's what they're doing, laying around our house and not much more. But Wycliffe said the people need to be able to read the word. So he set out, he was an Englishman. He set out to translate the Word of God into the English language. He had to go into exile. He was persecuted for that. He was called a heretic because he wanted to do that. And ultimately, he died. 
and after he was died and buried, a few years later, they demanded, the, the, the church demanded that he be dug up out of his grave and burned at the stake. Kind of an interesting martyrdom there that Wycliffe went through. But the truth of the matter is, his desire was that the word be accessible, that the word be something that the people of God could see and read and hear and, and understand through their reading of it. And Wycliffe, though he did not live to see Luther's nailing to the 95 Theses to the, to the Wittenberg church door, he longed for that day, he, he looked forward to that day, and it was his work that really was a spark. Uh, we'll write, I'll write about another one this week in the Grace Notes, but that was really a spark to the Reformation because it pointed them back to the Scriptures. And that's really what happened in Martin Luther's day in 1517 when he nailed those 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. He was not trying to split a church. He was not trying to, to, to uh, cause a commotion. He was not trying to cause a revolution. What he was desiring to do was call the church who had strayed from God's word horribly to call them back to the word of God. Because we confess, along with those reformers, that when scripture speaks, God speaks. What Scripture says, God says. That this word that we hold in our hand so many times, so, so casually and, and so, so for granted, that word we hold in our hand is the word of God, written for you and me and for all the ages, for the church. His revelation about who he is and, and what he's like and what he desires, what he commands indeed of his people. Where Scripture speaks, God speaks. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority for our, for our life and for our doctrine. We have to see that. Luther said shortly after his Wittenberg Tower experience where he came to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he had already come to understanding that the Word is where we have to come to. And, and he said this, he said, Luther said, Scripture alone is the true Lord and master of all writings and doctrine on earth. If that is not accepted, what is Scripture good for? The more we reject it, the more we become satisfied with men's books and human teachers, the less we see the importance of God's Word to us. Sola Scriptura is a doctrine. Sola Scriptura is a, a cry, the, the first cry of the Reformation. But let me tell you something. Sola Scriptura is the most practical thing that you and I will talk about today. It's more practical than anything you'll do watching on TV this afternoon. It's more practical than anything you'll do in preparing for this work week. It, it's the more, most practical thing when rightly understood that you or I will ever do. And, and the, the Reformation doctrine of Sola Scriptura is just as important today as it was in the 16th century. And yet I dare say that many people sitting in church services across this land today, and maybe even many sitting in this church service right here, have no idea what Sola Scriptura is or what it entails in your life. The importance of it for your daily living. The importance of it for your singing you see, you, you won't sing until you really understand Sola Scriptura. You don't have a lot to sing about 
until you understand sola scriptura and all that it leads to, sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christo, and, and sola deo gloria. All those flow out of and flow from the word of God, from sola scriptura. So it's important that we understand what it is. Follow along with me, if you would, in your Bibles. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Beginning verse, our main text is 16 and 17, but I want you to get the context of this. Paul writes to Timothy, you, however, I love how he starts. He's just gotten through saying in, in verses 1 through 9 that the, the last days are going to be really godless days. He's, going to, he, he's just told Timothy, listen, it, it's going to get so bad, you're going to think it really can't get a whole lot worse, you know, but... And so all these things are coming. He said people are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un, uh, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, lo not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen in, in conceit, pride, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, that is, they go to church, but yet when they leave the church building, they deny the power of that gospel. I mean, Paul mentions no words there in writing to Timothy to say that, listen, there's a day coming when sola scriptura will not be, will not be what people look for, look to. And, and granted, we have seen throughout all the generations, we have seen the outsiders attacking, skeptics attacking the scriptures, skeptics attacking the church, skeptics attacking those who believe and, and, and saying all sorts of horrible things about it and saying, how could you believe that book? How could you follow that Bible? How could you say sola scriptura is true? All those skeptics from the outside have been here since day one. But in these last days, in the last hundred years, there's never been any time like it in the history of Christianity where the skeptics, where those who doubted, where those who disbelieved were, just on, were not only on the outside, but also on the inside. Those who want to claim to be Christian and yet deny the power thereof. Those who want to claim to have some kind of a, a knowledge of, 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 of religion, but yet have no real knowledge of the gospel and no real knowledge of Scripture. Those who say, well, you know... But in our day, we're far more sophisticated. In our day, we have far greater learning. In our day, we have far greater wisdom from other sources besides the Bible. Let me tell you something. If a source of wisdom contradicts what the Bible says, that source of wisdom is foolishness. If something says that we have arrived at something and know something that contradicts what God has said, let every man be a liar and God be true. Because it is that way. And that is the reality. So Paul says, you however. Timothy, you however. You're not like that. You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Wow. While evil people and imposters, evil people outside the church, imposters within the church, will go from, from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in that which you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing, that, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, or in our PC world, or the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. We know this, Paul says, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Earlier translations will say all Scripture is inspired by God. It, it, it has come from God. But the literal translation of the words there is that it is breathed out. It is the very breath of God. As, so we can say when Scripture speaks, God speaks. When Scripture says something, we know that that is what God says. And, and the Reformation came back to say, listen, the church has departed from that. The church is looking to councils and popes and, and other people, other sources, who are contradicting what the Word says. And when those contradict the Word, let them be liars and let God be true. It's the Word. That's the call. And we've already looked at that somewhat. So what is sola scriptura? Well, there's about three things I want you to understand about it coming out of this text and other places. First, sola scriptura means that scripture alone is our final authority. Scripture alone is our final authority. Now granted, we live in a day when authority is a bad word, don't we? I want no one being an authority over me, be it the state, be it my parents, be it, be it government, be, be, it, be it God or the Word of God. I want to be my own person. I want to make my own decisions. I want to call my own shots. I want to determine what is best for me, no matter what it is that God has said. Sola Scriptura says, no, God is the final authority. It means that God, as He has spoken through His Word, is our, that the Bible is our chief, supreme, and ultimate authority. Now, Sola Scriptura is not, as I said, Uda Scriptura. It's not saying nothing but Scripture. It's not saying that there are not other authorities that can drive us back to the Scripture and teach us certain things. There, there are authorities for the Christian, authorities that should be listened to and followed. There are confessions of faith. There are creeds. And, and a lot of people through the years want to say, no, the, I, I believe the Bible alone is my creed. That's my only creed. Well, that's well and good, but you can't really sit down with somebody and read them the whole Bible when you want to tell them what you believe. So creeds and confessions are just ways of kind of synopsizing what the scriptures say. And as long as a creed, and as long, and we read the Apostles' Creed last Sunday responsibly, as long as a creed and as long as a confession agrees with the Word of God, it's a good authority to, to look to to point us back to the Word. When it departs from that, and we live in a day when confessions are being written that are departing from the Word of God, creeds are being written that are departing. I, I meant to read you one, but it was just too ludicrous to even read today. It's a new one's just come out. Uh, but, but when they depart from the Word of God, we have to say that is not truth. Our ultimate and final authority must be 
God's Word. So that means that other authorities, other claims to authority, are only to be followed in as much as they align with Scripture, submit to Scripture, and are seen always as subservient to Scripture. That is, their purpose is only to help us see the Scripture more clearly. And that's what the Apostles' Creed does. It, it brings down, he, God is the creator of all things. Jesus is the Savior. Spirit is the revealer of all things. I mean, it just points us to things that the Scripture has made clear through the years. So the first thing we need to understand is that the Scripture is our final authority in all matters of life and faith, in all matters of the way we live day by day. Secondly, and, and Paul kind of brings us out here in this passage, Scripture, uh, sola scripture also means that Scripture alone is our sufficient authority. It's sufficient. Paul says, Scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable. It is sufficient for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You, you, you have to see that what God's Word is there is it is good enough to teach us everything we need to know about life and salvation. Now, it doesn't tell us, it doesn't tell us how, how to build a car. It doesn't tell us how to even build our house. It doesn't, it doesn't say, now, you've got to build it in this way, in these dimensions. There are a lot of areas where we don't look to the Bible to get our information from, but those don't contradict anything in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if the Bible were not true, you couldn't build a house. What do you mean? Well, you, you, you wouldn't have the corners, and you wouldn't have the, the, the dimensions, and everything. they wouldn't work if it weren't for the revealed Word of God. All truth is God's truth, and all truth, and it doesn't, as long as it doesn't. Now, if you get a contractor who comes to you and says, listen, we're going to make all your corners 45 degrees. Don't let him build your house. Because that's just ludicrous. Hey, you can't build a house with all. But, but if he says, I want to do that, know that, no, that's not true. If, if he comes to you and says, look, we're, we're going to build a six-foot wall, but we're going to make it, we're going to make it five and a half feet. That's not, that's not a six-foot wall. That is not truth. Uh, and, and so we, we understand there are other authorities that we look to for various things in practicality in life but they don't contradict God's Word, and that's important. But God's Word is sufficient authority. It provides believers with all the truth they need for salvation and for following Christ. Everything you need for salvation and to follow and be obedient to Christ. And those come in that order. The Scripture points us to Christ for salvation, and then it tells us what a godly life is. Paul talks about here that, that Timothy is, is seeking godliness. He's, he's learning what it means to be godly before Christ. He learned it from his teaching, Paul's teaching, Paul's conduct, and also from, from the Scriptures as Paul has lived out the Scriptures in front of him. A lot of people today want to say, I, I'm a Christian, and then live contrary to the Word of God. There's a lot of people who are like these that Paul talks about here who says they are imposters. That they are imposters. They, they, they want to have this appearance of godliness. I go to church every Sunday. I talk, about, I talk about the Bible even in conversation. But yet they are denying the truth therein by their very lifestyle. Paul said, I want you to understand, the Word of God is sufficient for everything you need. 
some people say, well, yeah, but if I obey the word of God, I'm not going to be happy. Because God tells me to do things that I just don't want to do. There's a problem there. Because you see, God's word in telling you how you ought to live is, is more concerned about your holiness than it is your happiness. It's more concerned about your godliness, about how you live daily, about how you project what it means to be a believer. Do you understand that that your life is to be a reflection of Christ? Your life is to be a reflection of what God calls us to? Now again, even in the song we sang about His promises, it acknowledges we will sin and we will not live up to that perfectly. Scripture teaches us to make that our desire. So, therefore, the Scripture is sufficient for our practice. It's, it's been said through the years that of the Belgic Confession in 1561, just a mere 44 years or so after the nailing of those 95 theses. So it was, a, it was kind of an expression within the Reformation. The Belgic Confession says, We believe that those holy Scriptures fully contain the will of God. And that whatsoever man ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught therein. That's a great expression of sola scriptura. That, that we know that, that the Holy Scriptures contain the will of God for your life. You say, well, it doesn't tell me what kind of job to hold. It doesn't tell me what, who to marry. It doesn't tell me where I'm supposed to live. It doesn't tell me all these specific things. No, but let me tell you something. It gives you principles that if followed will lead you to the right person to marry, the right job to have, and the right place to live. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers is the place to start. And, and don't, be, uh, don't be yoked to somebody who says they're a believer but lives like an unbeliever. Paul, Paul said, I want you to understand that's important. So it contains the will of God. Or the London Baptist Confession, which in, in 1689 said, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for, for His glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, to which we add nothing. Somebody comes to you and says, well, you know, yeah, but you've got to believe in this new revelation. Joseph Smith, he's, he came along and he's, he's got this new revelation. He, he understands something new about God that, that the New Testament and the Old Testament don't know. Then, then what you're to say is let God be true and let Joseph Smith be a liar because he is. If somebody comes along and says, oh, listen, but, but I've got this new way of salvation and it's, it's all, it'll make you happier than you've ever been. You don't have to think about the Bible. I'm just going to tell you to smile and be happy. Let that person be a liar and the word of God be true. Or even our Baptist faith and message, which is our doctrinal statement, talking about the sufficiency of the word, says, the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. Hear this. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tested and should be tried. So it is also, sola scriptura means the scripture is sufficient for everything we need 
for life and for faith. Thirdly, it kind of flows out of those other two. Sola Scriptura means that only uh, means that only Scripture, because it's God's inspired word, breathed out word. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Sola Scripture means only Scripture is our inerrant authority. It's our sufficient authority, and it's our inerrant authority. The very reason why Scripture is authoritative is that God is its divine author. You say, wait a minute, Paul wrote those epistles, and John wrote that gospel, and Matthew wrote that gospel, and Isaiah wrote his prophecy, and and, and on and on and on you can go. And, And I would say to that, yes, they are the human instruments by which God spoke and God wrote. But I want you to understand that in all 66 books of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, God is the ultimate author of all those books that make up that one book. Inspiration should lead us to an understanding that the Bible is perfect, flawless, and inerrant. And I know some will say, but wait a minute, what about contradictions? I always love when people say, well, you believe the Bible, what about all the contradictions? And I say, well, give me one. Well, there's, there's hundreds of them in there. Okay, good, give me one. Well, I mean, they're everywhere. Okay, then it ought not be hard for you to give me one. And nine times out of ten, they can't give me one. But if they do, they'll give me a variation in a number between Chronicles and Kings. Well, this book says there were 10,000 soldiers, and this book says there were 9,621. There's an error. Not an error. Not an error in faith and practice. Not an error in truth. It, it may be an error, if you want to say rounding up is an error, it may be that. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible is God's Word and does not contradict itself. Don't let anybody intimidate you with what about all the contradictions. And if you want more evidence on that, you want more basis on that, I'll be glad to give it to you. The Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy back in the 80s, made this statement, this point. It said, the authority of Scripture is inescapably impaired if this total divine inerrancy is in any way limited or disregarded. When you start limiting, when you start disregarding, when you start saying, yeah, I know God's Word says this, but I want to do this, then you're beginning to move away from the truth that is in the gospel. One of my favorite church members ever was in my church in Florida, a guy by the name of Roger Nicole. Many of you have never heard of Roger Nicole unless you've heard me talk about him. Roger Nicole was, in my estimation, the, the, uh, the foremost Baptist scholar on the atonement that's ever lived. He's with the Lord now. But, but Roger Nicole once exclaimed this. He said, what is, supreme, what is supremely at stake in this whole discussion of inerrancy, is the recognition of the authority of God in the sacred oracles. Sacred word. Then Roger went on to say, Are we going to submit unconditionally to the voice of God who has spoken? Or are we going to insist on screening the message of the Bible, accepting only what appears palatable, and remaining free to reject what does not conform to our preconceived criteria? We don't have the right to screen the Bible. 
We, we don't have the right to say, well, I'll take this and I'll reject that. I, I think this is true, but I'm not sure that is true. We don't have that authority. If, we, if, if something's not true, then I'd throw the whole thing out. Heard someone say one time, or read where someone said that, you know, well, you know, here's, here's how much I trust the Bible. Even if the Bible is all wrong, I'm still going to hold on to it because that's just what I believe. That sends cold chills down my back. The Bible's all wrong. Reject it and go out and eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. If the Bible's all wrong, just forget this whole thing called Christianity. Because if the Bible's all wrong, Christ did not rise from the dead. And if Christ did not rise from the dead, nothing he said is true. Sola Scriptura drives us back to the Word, and we don't have the right to just take what we think is palatable and reject, feel that we're free to reject what does not conform to our preconceived criteria. Here was Luther's issue. Luther said, I recognize that the church, the church at Rome, affirms Scripture's authority and inspiration. They did. You can't go back and find in Luther's day where the church said, we deny the authority of the Scripture and we deny that it is inspired by God. They, they believed that. But what made Luther's stance so anathema to the church was that Luther said, he had the audacity to say that Scripture only, sola, Scripture only, is the inerrant authority. He said, popes and councils err, but Scripture does not. Popes and councils have contradicted themselves. They've changed their minds. They've, they've said things one time and a hundred years later said the opposite. But Scripture never does. Let me tell you something, folks. In our day, preachers and councils err. said it a thousand times. I, I, I'm sure there's error in my theology somewhere. If it is, point it out to me in light of what God's Word says, and I will gladly, gladly submit to the Word and change it. But you must begin with sola scriptura. You, you must begin with sola scriptura to live life as a believer. If you say, I, I just... I just can't accept Sola Scriptura. I just can't accept that there aren't other authorities. I think, I think this person and that person, maybe, maybe Dr. Phil or maybe Oprah. Oprah loves to tell us how to live. She does it all the time. She's got a new series coming out. I understand just kind of entitled, How to Live. That ought to be a real winner. We've got all sorts of authorities telling us how to live. But when they contradict this word, they are false authorities. When they contradict this word, they are liars. When they contradict this word, they prove that only God is true. Our decision in the 21st century, sophisticated as we are, what's going to be our authority? What are we going to look to as our authority? What are we going to trust in? as our authority, the latest psychological fad? 
the latest religious fad that has no grounding in Scripture? Are we going to pursue after some Eastern religion that promises us some kind of nirvana or peace if we just believe it? Are we going to believe God? The cry of the Reformation that changed the world was sola scriptura. The cry that will bring a new reformation in your life and in our church and beyond must be sola scriptura. It is the foundation. It is the foundation for everything else. Let's pray.